This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, April 24, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. Impeachment needn't be a national nightmare, as it's been described. And merely beginning an inquiry doesn't mean impeachment is the next logical step. According to Bob Bauer, former White House counsel to Barack Obama, the present conception of the presidency itself is part of the problem. We spoke earlier this month. Impeachment is a substantial power that uh, is handed to Congress. Uh, To the extent that it's been used in the past, do you think it's been used uh, substantially incorrectly or inappropriately? I have reservations for reasons that we can discuss about the way Congress went about the impeachment of Bill Clinton and then subsequently the trial. I do think, however, the problem with the impeachment power is not its overutilization, but its underutilization, which is a product of conceiving it the wrong way. And I think this experience that we're having in the current administration demonstrates the extent to which this conception has, I think, deterred Congress from facing up to its full responsibilities under the Constitution to consider at least impeachment inquiry where inquiry is appropriate. To the extent Congress has not done enough impeachment, what are the standards that they have established for impeachment that that you think are too high or uh, using the wrong standard perhaps? I would distinguish first of all the question of congressional inquiry from uh, an ultimate or final congressional judgment about whether to proceed with impeachment in the House and then with conviction in the Senate. We're at a stage now, I think, where there's so much terror over impeachment, so much anxiety that even inquiries are aborted. And that, I think, is a serious mistake. We see in the literature impeachment referred to as a national nightmare. It doesn't need to be a national nightmare. We have a very, very powerful presidency, and impeachment is a critical tool that Congress must use to address presidential abuse of power and other misconduct where there is evidence to suggest or reason to inquire into the existence of evidence to suggest that it's occurring. But Congress is anxious about it. And now some additional element reservation is entering into this debate. And that is the suggestion that there's some period of time in the run-up to an election when an impeachment inquiry is completely inappropriate because if there are questions of presidential impeachable offenses, that's a question that is probably best referred to the voters and not resolved by the Congress, and that completely upends the impeachment process. That would suggest, for example, that whenever a presidential election cycle has kicked in for a president who can seek re-election, that two out of the four years are effectively no impeachment zones. There's nothing in the Constitution to suggest that that is a constraint that Congress should observe, and there's every reason to believe that it's ill-considered. Is this part of a larger uh, issue between the executive and the legislative branch in the federal government that Congress just is afraid to, you know, exert its muscles a little bit? Yes. Uh, There are a number of, I think, reasons why this is the case. It certainly hasn't helped in a polarized political environment that each party feels absolutely compelled to jump to the aggressive and sometimes unthinking defense of presidents of their own party for political reasons. And I suspect we see that temptation on both sides of the aisle. I'm not looking to point my finger at one of the two political parties in that respect. That is certainly complicating matters. But yes, we have a government that is dominated by the conception of an exceedingly powerful president. I'm reminded of Gene Healy's outstanding book, The Cult of the Presidency. We have this view, the president is the representative of the nation, his voice of the nation. Any questions about 
impeachment are likely to unsettle the president's international standing and make him or her a less effective voice in our foreign affairs. And this is, if you will, a self-reinforcing or a notion. Uh, the more powerful the president is and the more powerful the president is conceded to be, the more unthinkable it would be that the president could be challenged in an impeachment process except in the most extraordinary circumstances. But of course, once you've reached that conclusion, then you've added yet still more to the insulation of the president from accountability. Unfortunately, in the debate over impeachment, there continues to be reference to Gerald Ford's ill-considered remark that an impeachable offense is whatever the House determines that it is at any given time. That's clearly wrong. Professor Philip Bobbitt at Columbia, who's a national authority on impeachment, in a recently published and updated version of Charles Black's famous handbook on impeachment published in 1974, makes the compelling case that impeachment is not a lawless process. Impeachment is governed by constitutional text, by precedent, uh, by other materials that constrain Congress in the justification of an impeachment process or an impeachment deliberation. There are guidelines, there are boundaries within which Congress has to operate. We certainly can imagine a Congress that goes you know, completely off the rails. We've never really confronted that, a Congress that decides to impeach a president over the you know, choice of clothing or some such irrelevance. But that's really science fiction for all intents and purposes. I mean, we really haven't seen that happen. And by and large, members of Congress feel compelled to look to whatever their political rhetoric may be, look to constitutional text and experience and history and precedent in deciding whether in a particular case the allegations against the president rise to the level of an impeachable offense. And I have to return again to the point that we can't be afraid of even discussing it. It can't simply be a matter of rank terror for the body politic to even contemplate an inquiry. And maybe some of the reassurance we need is precisely that it's not going to be an unbounded or lawless process. And I don't believe there's any reason to think that that's how it has to turn out. There is a push right now to eliminate the Electoral College. And that is, I think, broadly in the interest of saying, well, the, the process of electing a president is not democratic. It is uh, one that is, you know, and not democratic along a, a metric, which is the popular vote. And so I, th I perhaps some of the uh, frustration or uh, fear about even discussing or launching some sort of uh, impeachment type inquiry is that this, too, is undemocratic in a way that was not really reflected in our original constitution. Correct. I think that's definitely a concern. And as we see the intensifying democratization of the process, it's an argument we might anticipate would be made. The confusion here is that this is not a question of the selection of a president or the undermining of electoral choice. It's a question of steps that are taken by a body politic pursuant to clear provisions of constitutional authority to protect itself against a high aggravated level of presidential misconduct. It is not punitive in nature. Uh, yes, of course, it could be brought uh, into disrepute by partisan manipulation. And we can discuss some of the concerns I had uh, about the Clinton impeachment process. It's always going to be a risk that we have to monitor for. 
At the same time, however, we really can't have it both ways. We can't say that we're going to allow the institution to evolve to this extraordinarily powerful point and yet somehow dismantle the constitutional protections against the ongoing service of a president who presents a potential danger to the republic. Let's go to Richard Nixon for a minute so we stay away from the contemporary debates about Donald Trump's conduct. Richard Nixon had won re-election in a landslide in 1972. So surely there was an argument, even though the public was not aware of these Watergate allegations, that Congress should tread carefully uh, in ousting a president who had won two consecutive presidential elections and the second one by such an overwhelming margin. And yet the conduct in which he engaged was such that it was an ongoing danger to the country to have him remain in office. And it seems to me that whether you support or don't support any further democratization of the process as, for example, through the abolition of the Electoral College, it cannot follow that if we have in office a president who is abusing the power in a manner that is menacing to the body politic that we are somehow without resort to any remedy until the next election occurs. That doesn't make any sense at all. What was wrong with the Clinton impeachment? It it seemed that uh, members of Congress fo- focused very much on lies under oath and that they were hanging their hat on lies under oath and that's illegal and that means that we need to proceed with this. There were any number of problems with the Clinton impeachment, not the least of which was that there was a whole set of questions about, if you will, partisan entrapment that led to the very utterance of the lie that became the focal point of the impeachment. But if we set that aside, I want to make a larger procedural point. The impeachment of Bill Clinton rested on the work of an independent counsel. And Congress decided to delegate virtually the entire authority for the building of a record for impeachment, indeed a recommendation on impeachment under the independent counsel statute, to the independent counsel, Ken Starr. And that, it seems to me, infected the proceeding from the very beginning. Rather than Congress doing its constitutional duty, it decided to make the center of the entire deliberation what it was that Ken Starr found and to some extent what it was that the independent counsel thought. An executive branch official became, if you will, the lead witness for the Republican majority. The Congress and the House conducted no independent fact-finding. And in the Senate, it was highly curtailed and only three depositions of witnesses were conducted. Now, by that time, the Senate wanted out. It was very clear that Clinton wouldn't be convicted and the Republicans were looking at opinion polls that showed the American people were opposed to removing Clinton from office. But my larger point was it was not a structured, disciplined constitutional process that had the Congress doing its duty. It was essentially assigned to or delegated to an executive branch official under a highly controversial statute even before you get to some of the peculiar circumstances surrounding uh, the uh, quote-unquote offenses, impeachable offenses that Bill Clinton was said to have committed. So I think that is a case apart in a number of respects. Bob Bauer is a former White House counsel for Barack Obama. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. Cato Podcast. 